Welcome to the Cosmetic Podcast. This podcast amplifies the topics you want to hear about. Cosmetic means being a personal thing that gives rise to a phenomenon that is dynamic or energizing. Globally minded and locally focused. I'm Keith Benson. And I'm Rodrigo Ross. And so today we're going to discuss uh, decrease the disparity. So this discussion on opportunities for policy and practice enhancements needed to overcome the issues COVID-19 is heightened in particular in communities with less resources and that impact those uh, communities of color. And so today we have Dr. Joe Seabrook with us. He's the president of Cedar Valley College here in the Dallas, Texas uh, community. He's been a president there since 2016. And of course, no stranger to cosmetics, so excited to have her back, Dr. Tasha Franklin Johnson, who is the Senior Director um, with the YMCA of the USA. She leads the Character Development Learning Institute and the Boys and Young Men of Color Strategies. She's an educational strategist with an expertise in the area of teacher development, leadership development, and urban education. Welcome to you both. Glad to hear. I feel smarter just being on this Zoom. I know all these, uh, all these letters behind the name, man. I tell you, I, I, I think I might just get an honorary one just for, for this call alone. I don't think that's how this works. Keith. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> well, we have, uh, you know, two individuals here today with just a wealth of experience in this uh, education space. And we just want to have a conversation about this whole impact of uh, what COVID is having on our communities of color. Can you guys just address this whole issue about virtual learning? Like what are some of the challenges that you guys have heard about, experienced, and know of what's going on out there? And so Dr. Seabrook, we'll go with you. I mean, you're, you're in that direct immediate space there with, uh, with students. Yeah, I, th thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I'm honored to be a part of this conversation with you. You know, as it relates to uh, virtual learning, you know, it's really the three P's, man. It's people, it's processes and products. And so as it relates to people, you know, students, teachers, parents obviously have to adjust uh, to the uh, environment. Uh, but what really makes that difficult are the processes. I mean, the, 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 the curriculum design for, for virtual instruction to be really effective, it cannot look anything like the on-ground traditional instruction. And what has, unfortunately, what has had to happen is students who've honestly not prepared, not equipped to be in a virtual uh, learning environment have been forced to take their on-ground on courses and put them in this virtual space. Well, that's, that's, that's really um, uh, detrimental uh, to the learning environment, because that's not how it works. Uh, to engage students in a virtual environment takes a whole set of different strategies, a whole set of different level of expertise that most, I would imagine that uh, 80 to 85% of our faculty, whether they are, are K-12 or, or college or beyond, uh, just weren't equipped. And then the last thing is products. And so, you know, um, you know we, we hear often about the digital divide uh, folks not having the uh, uh, broadband access uh, in their homes to be able to keep up with the volume of uh, a bandwidth that's needed uh, to participate in quality instruction. And so, and not only that, uh, folks uh, are trying to do their work on iPads and, and cell phones. And really for you to be a productive learner, particularly in the higher education space, you have to have the robust equipment uh, not only the 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 the, the device that, that works, but also the Wi-Fi that's accessible. So mm -hmm. those are the challenges that's devastating 
the the access uh, access to learning, but also being fully engaged in the process. Gotcha. And I would add, thank you, Dr. Seabrook, for really setting the stage around that, and particularly in the higher ed space, um, in the K twelve uh, environment in particular uh, youth, what we thought would be the great equalizer is uh, also the great revelation of disparity and amplifier of disparity. Virtual learning can be a powerful tool, um, a powerful strategy for reaching and teaching and going in places where um, many of the barriers that uh, people of color or people from underserved communities cannot go uh, will right size that inequity, but what we're seeing during COVID is that is an amp is amplifying that inequity and that um, many of our youth are actually losing ground because they don't have the access, they don't have the devices, they don't have the consistent connectivity, um, they are unable to uh, corral the agency from a parent or adult caregiver perspective to navigate the additional bandwidth and the additional devices required that we impose to be able to reach and teach one. And I think it also amplifies the archaic nature of place-based instruction, that everything has to happen in a brick and mortar space. Everything has to be synchronized learning, synchronized engagement, and that we have to be doing everything in the same way at the same time. So, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that we hear uh, from parents and from students um, really comes back around having to learn, having to navigate this new virtual space and what mental health um, challenges or, or, or things that are being um, exposed or exacerbated. Um, Dr. Seabrooks, talk to us about, you know, some of the challenges or some of the things that you're seeing, particularly for students with less resources around um, navigating this new space, how it's affecting their mental health, their parents' mental health, the mental health of the teachers and the administrators. And how are you guys dealing with that? You know, it's a it's a major challenge, uh, quite frankly. I mean, the sense of isolation that many of our students feel. Uh, and not only that, with that compounded with the uncertainty uh, in the workplace. In fact, many, many of our students that had to either stop coming to school or dramatically reduce the number of credit hours that they've had, that they've historically taken so they can provide a, a larger uh, uh, financial uh, support for their family uh, because, you know, folks have lost jobs. Uh, in fact, now in many instances with, with parents who have pre-existing uh, pre conditions, who have really uh, been hit hard with COVID. Um, I mean, uh, in many instances, our students are now the primary breadwinner uh, in households. And so those are the folks who are the, the, the most vulnerable. And what's interesting is, you know, about young people, you know, you know, they're different from our generation. I mean, you know, when we turned 16, we couldn't wait to get behind the wheel of a car and, and have some uh, uh, freedom. But, but our students are a little slow with trying to take on uh, that, that responsibility. And COVID has even made that a challenge because now you're the primary breadwinner, but you can't drive. And so how does that, how does that, I mean, it's, it's this compounding nature. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think we are equipped and I don't think we have done uh, what's necessary uh, to keep students moving forward in this arena. And I'm deeply afraid 
that the devastation of the pandemic we will feel for generations mm -hmm. uh, uh, because the, that sense of isolation, that sense of uncertainty, uh, that sense of you know just not having any trust in anything that was that you could count on. You can't even count on your school being physically open uh, anymore. And so um, I, I I don't think I'm answering your question the way you need me to. But to be honest with you, I, I th this is the area that I think we're struggling the most with. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Dr. Johnson. I would say, Dr. Seabrooks, that uh, again amplifies what COVID has done is that um, it has spread the bad news of anxiety mm -hmm. and angst mm -hmm. and um, lack of predictability that we know creates um, uncertainties and interruptions in child development. Um, on our best days, when we can control it, it is difficult to navigate. When you factor in the equation of a pandemic, it exacerbates the problem. Um, I'd like to offer a slightly different perspective around uh, how, how trauma and mental health uh, support is kind of calling itself up in the age of the pandemic. It's also uh, revealing that those who have been experiencing levels of anxiety and uncertainty are demonstrating their resilience and their perseverance. So you have many families who, who childcare has always been a problem pre-pandemic. You know, how they were going to uh, ensure that their children would be in a safe, nurturing environment when the job called and they had an opportunity to make more, you know, more hours or get more hours on the job. Parents who uh, had to leave their young people unattended uh, when they dropped them off to daycare or when they uh, went to their jobs have still have the same problems during COVID and they have learned um, how to navigate that. Now that's not something that we want to continue to replicate, but I do think we have to celebrate and honor those who are already leading the charge and also recognize when it became a more middle-class problem, when folks like us started to have inconsistent connectivity and to not know who was going to take care of our kids when we were called to go to work or be on a conference call such as this, then all of a sudden we had to be much more concerned about social, emotional learning and trauma-informed care. And so I offer that um, in some ways, uh, this pandemic has created e equality around uh, how this country still has much ground to gain as it relates to child welfare and family wellness. Mm -hmm. This pandemic has definitely been a equalizer, right? It's just like now everybody has a particular problem um, that they can um, relate to. Um, let me go back uh, a little bit. Dr. Johnson, you had spoke on, and I'd like both of you guys to kind of chime into this, place-based instruction. You said that that looks a little different or may need to look a little different. How does that relate to innovation? Oh, I think it drives innovation it, and it should drive innovation. Um, it has called us to think about who are our stakeholders? Um, are we actually really able to sustain and deliver on youth program design? Um, I think that uh, certainly in the YMCA, we have been thinking about um, how we can deliver um, our community engagement and youth development differently to meet the needs of the 21st century family and the 21st century learner. This has accelerated some of that innovation. 
I'd also say that uh, it has necessitated that we must go where the people are. And so many other organizations that are grassroots in nature, whether they're providing vital social services, have figured out early on that they need to be in the place where the people are. Oftentimes when you are in um, the public health or uh, public service sphere, um, we require the people to come to us. And so COVID did a cease and desist <laughs> and didn't do a community meeting to determine that. And so it has necessitated that we must go out and do better to be where the people are and to really rethink and reimagine what community engagement means and how we intend to serve people for their need and not necessarily our need as an organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for us, you know, it's a, it's a tale of two commitments, right? We have folks, unfortunately, at a certain stage in their careers and they're like, I don't have to deal with this. I don't want to do with this. And, and literally walking off the job, mm. right? Because they're eligible to retire and they don't have to be innovative. You know, you moved my, you know, you, 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 you moved what was comfortable. And so they don't have to participate. But, but on the flip side of that, on the other side of that coin, folks who deeply care about our students, deeply care about our community have been so innovative uh, in ways with how they put lectures together uh, how they engage uh, content, how they've leveraged existing technology or or phenomenons like YouTube and other uh, innovations uh, to engage students in ways that they might not have thought of before. Uh, but I, I, what 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 I'm afraid of, though, we are at the mercy of the professional mm -hmm. uh, to be as uh, creative and committed uh, or the opposite end of that. So. So some great things will happen that, I, and, I, and I'm convinced we will never go back exactly the way it was mm. uh, in the education space, uh, even on the, the, the student development side, the student support side, that's gonna look totally different. Uh, being able to tutor fully online uh, and leverage uh, uh, third party partners to help us do that, it, it's gonna be completely different. Yeah, so I, 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 will, I will share with you all, cause we are family. It's increased my level of innovation too, as a parent, because I'm always looking for ways to not really let my 13 year old know, I don't know what you doing, baby. I don't understand it. I don't know if I can help you, but I gotta stay one step ahead of him. So as a parent, it's causing me to be my most innovative self as well. So I kind of want things to go back to the way they were. But speaking of that, you know, when you're talking about all the different learning styles of children and then their caregivers and the houses that they may be in or whatever their living situations are, what about our students with special needs, right, who learn differently, who need a different kind of support um, to be successful in school, and especially when they come from some of these under-resourced uh, communities. How, how is this really being amplified for, for that demographic? Well, I'm going to say that in the uh, youth environment, particularly in the uh, K-12 space or the early childhood space where we're dealing with um, infants and toddlers who are not quite identified for formal services, um, it is a dire need that uh, the caregiver and or the parent or guardian uh, have the support that they need to advocate on behalf of their young person um, I have seen situations where uh, school districts have asked parents to waive 
some of their IEP rights and parents do that because they don't know better. And you know, when you know better, you know, I've said this, you do better and you support better. And so this also has, this pandemic has amplified that there are families and youth with exceptionalities, gifted children, students with disabilities, uh, families who are non-native English speakers who have different migratory experiences to this country that still need uninterrupted services. And they need the advocates to uh, be plugged into, uh, the districts plugged into uh, clinicians and other specialists to continue to provide full wraparound services for you. So that means even if they're doing virtual learning, that school system still has a responsibility of providing things such as headphones. They have responsibilities of providing um, assistive technologies to enhance instruction. And when that does not happen, that parent, that caregiver, that guardian has to feel like he or she has the courage to raise his or her hand and say, hey, I need support. And I need support from that particular agency. And we know that again, on in an ideal circumstance under traditional brick and mortar, traditional schooling, it's not happening well. Dollar to a donut, I think is the way the expression goes, is not happening during COVID either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, a, a different perspective though, what it's kind of done for us in a positive way, uh, because all of the learning materials have to be presented in a digital format, it, it gives us visibility on making sure everything is ADA compliant. Uh, and so in many instances, it's easier to hide that in the classroom setting or not or not have visibility on it. And so it's a, a lot of folks have had to kind of go back and redo uh, uh, PowerPoint presentations and syllabi and other things. In fact, we have a process now for it to even go up uh, in our in our blackboard, which is our educational format. Uh, it has to meet certain criteria. Uh, and uh, and so that's that's the positive benefit, which again we won't be going back uh, moving forward. All your learning materials will have to kind of go through this extra step to ensure that it's accessible. Mm -hmm. And one thing, Dr. Seabrooks, that you had mentioned earlier that also triggers my thought, in, as you were talking about some of the um, adjustments your faculty and staff have to make for instruction. Um, I would also say that we are uh, continuing to have to focus on quality. So I serve as uh, the vice chair of the National After School Association. And one of the things that NAA um, is doing is to champion uh, quality in the childcare, daycare, early learning world. And I think that as people are uh, putting out material, certainly early on in March and April, there was a lot of virtual material, um, virtual lessons, toolkits, videos, et cetera. And when we think about what the bar is for quality, whether it be instruction, whether it be youth development, um, I think that some of our indicators of quality and rigor were lost um, in exchange for the efficiency of the virtual space and the emergency nature of the pandemic. And so I'm hoping that facing forward and certainly starting from today, we continue to return to that quality conversation. So just like, you know, if you have a PowerPoint and, and I've taught um, uh, in the higher ed space too, they're always, your instructions should always have a clear beginning, middle and end. 
it should be always undergirded with objectives and goals that you expect the learner to journey with you along the way. And so how are we stepping back to make sure that one, we're providing content that is going to be relevant, interesting, meaningful to the learner, and that the learner can then translate into something that's useful for him or her in their 21st century world and not our 21st century world. And that definitely, that's a skill that's required from a youth developer. That's a skill that's required from an educator that I am most certain has been dimmed as we are attending to this pandemic. Yeah. One thing I would say, you know, um, you know, what's been a phenomenon for a while now uh, in, in the higher space, particularly in the nursing programs and hands-on program was this notion of a flipped classroom where, where the instructors would do all, they would pre-record all of their lectures. And then when it was time for class, you would, you would reassure that the students was able to grasp that information in the lecture, or if there was any hand-on uh, competencies that need to be gained, you spend that classroom time helping folks with that, the hands-on piece. What, 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 what I am seeing, uh, our best faculty are taking that across all disciplines uh, and, and organizing. So you can watch the lectures whenever you get ready and when you can, but when it's time for us to have class together, let's, let's talk about, let's build on the learning that you, that you, that you participated in independent of me. And let's see how you can leverage my expertise to further your, your learning. And I, and I don't think we're going back, uh, from that either, because again, the idea that you have to sit in class as, as doc was saying earlier, uh, to, to catch my wisdom uh, is, is over with. You know, I, you, I can learn what you can say, what you've been saying for the last 20 years on my own time. What is your unique experience that you bring as a faculty member that I can yield from in, to enrich my life and my education? Yeah, you know, that is so interesting you say that, Dr. Seabrooks, because I'm noticing how that strategy is being normalized in the business space, right? And so when we first started in this pandemic space, everyone would just hop on Zoom. If someone wanted you to present something, you present it and that's it. But now many places are asking you to pre-record your message and then commit to being on the call in the chat or in some function so you can answer those real life um, tell me more, validate this for me kind of experience. And, you know, right when you said that, I'm hoping that, wow, since it is being normalized in other spaces, could that staple become um, easier to digest, right? In the education space for parents, for kids, because they're so used to doing it in other places. I, I didn't know that's where that originated. I learned well, today. I'm not, not going to take credit for it. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I, I know we were we, we were an early adopter. Let me say that. Yeah. Uh, uh, in that whole process, but you think about what that can mean for parents. Mm -hmm. uh, see those lectures also, uh, and also be a part of the educational experience. And now the whole family can get an education, or at least get yeah. access to the material to decide if they want to move forward uh, to formalize their education or not. Yeah, and you know, even as a presenter, I will say those formats for me were much better because it really gave me the opportunity to clarify some stuff. You know, as you're saying some things, and especially if it's something that you talk about regularly, you think it's clear, but it may be as clear as mud to the people who are receiving it. And so you really get that chance to engage in a dialogue and clarify some things or help people validate they heard what they heard or I didn't mean it that way. So 
wow, I like that. Go ahead, Dr. Johnson. No, I was going to also note, too, that there's an, uh, a point around empathy that I want to extract from that conversation mm -hmm. um, and connect back to, Rodrigo, the comment you made from your own parenting experience. You know, uh, Dr. Seabrooks talked about uh, the perspective of the parent who has access to supporting their learner with these uh, video materials, by example. And I think that's another piece that's critical in COVID is that we have to really amplify and raise up the concept of empathy. Part mm -hmm. of our adult practices that we have embraced uh, through our character development work at the National Office of the YMCA is empathy. And, and empathy being defined as perspective taking, walking in the footsteps of the other. And so although we as educators or people who are in the youth space or work with kids all the time, you know, have the terminology of blended learning and flipped classrooms, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what does it mean for the learner? What does it mean for that 17 year old kid who has to take two buses down from downtown Dallas to get out to Lancaster, mm -hmm. you know, by example, or uh, downtown Baltimore to Owings Mills, by example, um, to then access that material digested independently. And so if, when we design these infrastructures, whether we're designing emergency infrastructures or we, we're being proactive and designing infrastructures that are based on promising, leading and best practices, we always, always, always have to think with the end user in mind. Um, we talk about human-centered design. I just call it walking in the footsteps of the other. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, and, and I'll tell you, uh, I've been spending a lot of my time away from the traditional credit programs and working to design and to strengthen our short-term training programs that are 16 weeks or less. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you've gotten displaced or someone's gotten displaced in your household, you know, you don't, you know, your idea of, you know, being a, a lawyer might have to be put on hold for a moment, but you can maybe go be a legal clerk you know, to, to kind of stay connected on that pathway uh, uh, to move forward. And so, uh, and those programs are, are gaining tremendous steam. The bad news is a lot of those programs can't be replicated online fully because they're, they're, they're skill-based and learning and you have to be able to demonstrate that you can do those skills. So you mentioned, okay, so uh, I know with, um the colleges that you're involved with and been involved with vocational um, uh, instruction is, is really critical. How are those things being taught right now? Because those, I mean, like if you want to be a mechanic, uh, if you want to be like say the legal clerk, I mean, how are you guys uh, doing Man. those programs? So it's been tough. I mean, cause we haven't been able to fully put all those classes online. Like for example, uh, I, I was able to get a pass because of the need for law enforcement. I mean, we need police officers right mm -hmm. now. Uh, and so, but, you know, one person in the class catches COVID, everyone has to quarantine for two weeks. Right. And then now <laughs> what used to be a, you know, semester long program is having to be extended. Same thing with automotive. I mean, um, we have a partnership with Snap-on Tools. And so not only do you get the college certification, you get certified by that by that in, by that industry leader uh, on how to use their equipment and so students are at the last section of, of, of that program and, and had to be suspended because someone came down with COVID 
Wow. And so uh, construction trades has been one that, you know, we, we got to get people uh, working. And in each case, you know, we've, we've had, we've been able to, to, to contract, uh, contact trace uh, that person's uh, uh, footsteps uh, to take the appropriate measure. But, but that's something that, that was new to our institution. And we have a phenomenal process uh, to do that, but we would be in deep trouble. We wouldn't be able to do anything if we didn't have that infrastructure that's led by our, our incredible Dr. Sharon Davis. And I would say also that that's a, uh, I would amplify that need. I'm using the word amplify a lot because I'm just feeling everything is big now in pandemic. Um, but those are professions that have been consistent and in some communities across the country, they are deemed essential. So it gives opportunities for um, students and youth and young adults from um, underserved communities uh, abilities to work consistently and to really start to get ahead economically. But certainly, um, as Dr. Seabrooks talked about, the, the technicalities of COVID and coronavirus exposure sometimes can create those barriers. But I think it also tells us again, necessitates how do we innovate? You know, as uh, clinical studies and the medical professions are using uh, um, 3D technologies and, and, and virtual uh, software uh, for cadavers and, and, and dissections, you know, can something, uh, simulations be very similar um, in those professions? And when you think about how digital nat natives, young people who are, you know, 25 and younger learn, they don't necessarily learn um, in real time. They are, you know, playing Fortnite. <laughs> they are, if Fortnite was our SimCity. So they are doing that kind of stuff virtually. And so how are we leaning into their learning style to be able to develop plans B, C, D, E, and F? Yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, I'm a little older than you, so that was that was, <laughs> that was my Mario Brothers. So, <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> no, no. I'm, 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 I'm just Dr. Steve scene. Brooks. I got on the scene when Pac-Man came out. So, uh oh, uh oh, you made us carry the one there, Dr. Seabrook. Oh, we had to carry I will, one. But I will wear you out in this. Pac <laughs> Wait, you you know how to flip the boy after hundred thousand? Uh oh. Now uh -oh. you go. Now now you gonna call me out now? Because I've been able to do that because my reflexes are not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In my mind, I can't. But Dr. Seabrook, she mentioned about the 3D, 3D technology. Dallas College has a 4D technology over at, uh, you know, one of the other campuses. How yeah. is that technology being used now or is it some way that uh, students have access to it? So, so this is, so here's the truth, lies, and alibis about all of that. So you're absolutely right. You can look at an engine, a diesel engine, and you can, identify all the parts and the gears and the components. But there is no substitute for holding that wrench in your hand to be able to, to work that bolt, to deal with the grease, to deal with the oil, to deal with the realities. And so, so conceptually, I think understanding what you're having to deal with, 3D and 4D is helpful. But when you are having to become skilled, 
Mm-hmm. There's no substitute for having that hammer and putting it in and driving that nail. Uh, and 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 I learned that the hard way because I saw all this stuff and I, th- I thought it was so cool and we bought a whole bunch of stuff and and then 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 students don't know how to hold a wrench and mm-hmm. so 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 there there are some there, there I mean it's helpful it's helpful them understanding quicker on how the whole component works together but but uh, trust me you don't want nobody working on your car. And, and and they've only done it through simulations. But now, are you saying that you can still put the car under under the tree and work on it? Is better than the simulation? Man, well, I'm not gonna say that because <laughs> there's a lot of computers involved, and there's a lot of diagnostics that has to occur first before shade tree uh, get up under there. Right, right. <laughs> but, but in a pinch, if you need your brakes done or or a tire changed, you know, but. But those things that require the, the computer to engage, because even it even when Shade Tree does it, he has to turn off the, the warning and you know, and there's a whole set yeah. of things that come right. with that. So right. it's I mean, you have to almost be a computer scientist to be an automotive technician now. But but it's but 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 you have to still know how to turn that wrench yes, sir. Uh, and, and be comfortable getting dirty. Yes, sir. So, so my only challenge to that is, and it's not really a challenge, it's a what if, right, is that um, it's not now, not now doesn't mean not ever, right? Right. It's just like, and so I agree, I played the piano for years, played on a real piano, and I don't think that a keyboard is a substitute for a, a real piano and all that, the ivories of the keys and, and the, the, the tuning and the, the, the cadence of of, of working the notes and playing the music. But it does lay, if you don't have anything, right, it creates a foundation so that that person who has learned how to hear music, read music, play music on a keyboard, when he or she gets to a baby grand in a hotel or airport, they can still lay their hands on it. They mm-hmm. can still hear, feel, read, and play with some additional practice. And I think that sometimes when resources are limited, and I've seen in, during the pandemic that we get into this bifurcated, you know, either or uh, exclusivity. We can't have this because of that. Instead of thinking, what can we do now to get us closer to the goal to achieve? And then how do we create a future facing pathway? And yep. I think that so, so, you know, okay. We don't have to close the schools. So how do we make the best use of this virtual space until we can get back to more right. face safe, face-to-face engagement? So so I'll meet you in the middle on that. Okay. Uh, because the difference is uh, you're not going to be stranded at the airport because of the, somebody not being able to play on a real comp- uh, uh, piano. You will be stranded at the airport if someone was working on your car and they learned 100% virtually. Uh, I, I, I guarantee. I'll, I'll receive that. <laughs> but, but uh, understanding conceptually what it means to be a mechanic, understanding conceptually the mechanics behind how the body is positioned as a police officer, and you have to do an arrest. I mean, there there are some absolute, you know, that can be replicated. Uh, in these virtual environments. But what the future is going to bring us is 
artificial intelligence and robotics is going to change the nature of that job because the technician won't be turning the wrench. They'll be making sure that the robot that's fixing it is doing it right or, or staying on the right path. And so you, so, so you are right. We are moving away from being able to have the physical dexterity to make things happen. But I think we're, we're quite a ways off from that. But so, so please, uh, if, if they haven't touched somebody's car, um, uh, don't let them work on yours. <laughs> hey, look, let them work on the beater. <laughs> uh, say, say, it, say it again. You're going to let them work on the beat up car. Uh, That's yeah, right. I ain't, ain't going to ride with you. I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to meet you there. <laughs> so, with all of the challenges, right? But but even with the undergirding of innovation and people trying to make the best out of a, a re really difficult situation, overall, do you guys think that this generation, because of this pandemic, is going to be left behind, especially with vulnerable populations that are already experiencing this education gap? Like, is this is this widening the gap? So I'm gonna say, uh, if I had a crystal ball, I would say absolutely from mm -hmm. lots of perspectives. So I we I appreciate the federal government's response with the CARES Act dollars and being able to provide some economic as, uh, assistance to organizations and individuals, but future generations are gonna have to pay for that. And um, the kinds of things that we uh, held high uh, in terms of some traditions in our senior years will not likely be as accessible, if accessible at all, to future generations. From a skill development perspective, um, particularly uh, for early learners, if they were in pre-K, K, uh, first grade, and had that those years interrupted, especially if you were in states where uh, it was kindergarten was not mandatory, um, there was not a universal pre-K model in your state or in your county, absolutely, that good, healthy beginning has been interrupted. And one of the developmental principles of child development is that development is orderly. Everybody has a different order, but there's an order. And there's a theorist named Eric Erickson who talks about the ages of man, man being uh, analogous to person, who espouses that when development is interrupted, there becomes a problem. And so we have had interruption in the teaching and learning experience, whether it be in academic settings or youth development settings, there has been some dire interruption, especially for those populations who have already um, experienced systemic barriers, systemic obstacles in their learning and developmental journeys. Absolutely, we're gonna see that come to bear um, at critical years in their adult development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I see it slightly different. You know, uh, in my mind, there, there's really three populations. There's the vulnerable, which we've been talking about quite a bit. There's stable, who we've talked about a little bit. And then there's privileged. Uh, I think the vulnerable people were going to be left behind regardless. I mean, uh, pre, uh, pre, during, post uh, pandemic, that's not going to really change for those folks. Uh, stable folks who are stable, more of those people will be left behind. Yeah. And they will be, they will move from stable to vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And 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 honestly, folks who are in that privilege category are also going to be in that some are going to be in that vulnerability uh bucket uh because of the the these realities. But one of the things I I I think is pretty cool and it makes me proud to be who I am and from my cultural traditions, 
there's, you know, you know, depending on how you were raised and where you were raised, you was always used to having to, to, to pivot on a dime. Uh, you was always really, I mean, we all come from communities to some degree that the family's just made enough money just to be broke. And so this idea of not having something uh, isn't is new. I mean, uh, not being able to go to your senior prom, is, it's not, that's not new to some of us because mm-hmm. of the financial realities of it. It's just more of us are gonna have to, how to, have to share that experience and, and what comes with that. So, so uh, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not totally pessimistic. I don't think this generation will be destroyed, but I think that you will not be able to easily predict as much as we used to be able to who will be successful and who won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because it, it it is, as you said earlier, has has leveled the playing field. Man. Well, this has been dynamic. Um, it, as we close out, um, what does it look like for the U.S., you think, in 10 years, 15 years, as it relates to um, education? You can discuss that from the innovation standpoint or the vulnerability standpoint. What does that look like for the United States in, in this uh, next decade or so? So I'm gonna say key to that question, the time was yesterday and the world is telling us what it needs. Um, it's up to us to listen to it or not. Yeah, and and, and I'm gonna just say that the, the, a, a, a K-12 education experience, we've outgrown that decades ago. And I think that moving forward, uh, we will um, have an experience that really track people with their competencies mm-hmm. better. And, 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 and as soon as we can get past the notion that I'm not an adult until I finish my senior year, um, uh, I think COVID has forced that. They've forced people to grow up way faster than what our calendars suggest. And, and as a result of that, I think uh, uh, individuals with talent will be able to move faster um, and not be forced to sit in the classroom for 12 years. Um, and, um, and those who, who need that, that level of nurturing will hopefully get it. Amazing. Awesome. Well, man, this has been a dynamic conversation with, uh, Dr. Tasha Johnson with our national YMCA office and, uh, Dr. Joe Seabrook with president of Cedar Valley college here in uh, Dallas, Texas. Thank you all for listening to Causenetic. Where our conversations are global. Globally minded and locally focused. We would love to hear your thoughts about how this pandemic is affecting marginalized folks in the space of education. And you can give us that feedback at www.ymcadallas.org slash Causenetic. And as always, stay dynamic, stay energized, stay Causenetic.